0: now going to read together God's precious word. I would like you to turn with me in your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. The first letter of Paul to the church at Corinth, chapter 13, and we will read together these verses it is a very familiar portion it's a portion of scripture I would guess that some and possibly even many of you know it off by heart I certainly was taught this in Sunday school it's one of the portions that was used in scripture memorization I'd better make sure I don't get the reading wrong you'll say you didn't learn it very well when you were in Sunday school it was a long time ago but it was taught this chapter. Let's read it together. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, And though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains, and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long And is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself. Is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own. Is not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity. But rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things. Believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part But then shall I know even as also I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three. But the greatest of these is charity. Amen. And we trust that God will add his own divine blessing to the public reading of his holy and precious word for Christ's sake. At this point in the service, we're going to have the necessary announcements for the incoming week, and we're going to call upon one of your elders, Mr Alistair Heenan, to come now and bring those necessary announcements to you.
1: Good morning, everyone, and uh, welcome along to our service here in Hillsborough. I would extend a special welcome to any visitors and also welcome to those that are viewing online this morning. A special welcome also to our visiting preacher this morning, Reverend Samuel Murray. Um, Reverend Murray is the moderator of Presbytery and he's minister of the Free Presbyterian Church in Portabougie. I would also just remind everyone of the evening service uh, tonight at 7 p.m., and that's preceded by the half hour of prayer at 6.30. And please do make that effort to attend the evening service <coughs> uh, tonight. Tuesday, we have the midweek prayer meeting and Bible study at 8 p.m. On Wednesday, the children's meeting at 7 p.m. And then Thursday, the senior's hour is uh, back again with <coughs> Reverend Stephen McRae. And that's at 11.30 a.m. and lunch will be served. On Friday, the early morning prayer meeting is at 7 a.m., and then Tiny Treasures at 9.30 a.m., and the Youth Fellowship at 8 p.m. Next Lord's Day, the Sabbath School and Bible Class are at 10.15, and (coughs) uh, our services are at 11.30 a.m. and 7 p.m. And Reverend Kenny and Mr. Jonathan Eccles will be here next Lord's Day. Vision magazine and current magazines are both available in the hall this morning, and Let the Bible Speak cards are on the table as well, given some details of the Let the Bible Speak television broadcast times and and dates. Uh, The week of prayer, just to give you a reminder about that, it's in the church here, commencing the 21st to the 26th of January, and that's each night at 8 p.m., Um, The Free Presbyterian International Congress, it takes place in the martyrs uh, on the 1st to the 5th of July. And just as our brother mentioned in his prayer there, there's been a bereavement in our church. Mr. Cecil Kearns passed away. Cecil was a very faithful member, a member of committee for many, many years, and also served in Sunday school and he'll he'll be missed. And his funeral service is here uh, in the church tomorrow at 2 pm. I would just extend our sincere sympathies to Renee and to the the family circle at this time. Also, Mr. William Patterson lost a sister uh, during the past week, and again would want to offer our sympathy to the Patterson family and assure them of our prayers. These are all the announcements I need to make, and I'd hand over again to our brother, Reverend Murray.
0: Please turn with me now in God's Word to the portion read earlier in the meeting, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, then look with me please at verse 4. We'll read a couple of verses and then pray. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 4. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not, charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil. Amen. Let's bow together in prayer, please. Father in heaven, we thank thee once again for this day and for this place of worship, for the one that we worship, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank thee for the word of God that we have, thy revealed will in this book that we can read, that we can study, that we can apply to our hearts with the help of the Holy Spirit and benefit thereby. We're truly a privileged people, but with all privilege comes responsibility. And help us to see in this study today our responsibilities towards thee and towards others. Gracious God, be with us in the study of the word and help me to rightly divide it. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. We all know about Christian charity. You've heard it mentioned, you've read about it, you've memorized it, you have heard it preached upon time and time and time again. This chapter is all about Christian charity. But the section that I want to study with you today is very interesting because it actually speaks about the contradiction of Christian charity. Not charity, but that which contradicts this great teaching of God. And the reason why I want to do this today with you and study the contradiction of charity is the fact that there are certain behaviors amongst Christians that are a contradiction of or a denial of Christian love. Now the Lord Jesus Christ, he said this about charity or love amongst believers. He said in John 15 and 12, This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. The Apostle Paul, he said in Romans 12 and 10, Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love. In honor preferring one another. He went on to say in Ephesians 5 and 2, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us. He also said in First Thessalonians 3 and 12, and the Lord make you to increase and abound in love, one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you. So Christ teaches we should love one another, and how we're to do that. Paul teaches it. Peter did he express this truth? He certainly did. First Peter one twenty two: Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. And the apostle John, he did the same. He said in 1 John. 3, 14, and 15, We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. So, these verses make it abundantly clear that God commands and God requires Christians To love him. To love one another. And to be willing to sacrifice for other people. For that's what this love means. Love isn't just um, some wee feeling. Christian love is agape love. Being willing to sacrifice for others and serve them. Make sacrifices for the Lord. And serve the Lord. Make sacrifices for one another and serve one another and you know something we'll take it a step further not only are we to have love for the lord which is perfectly understandable and love for one another which is a perfect consequence of being in the lord's family but we're even to love our enemies and serve them and make sacrifices for them. Because it says in Matthew five forty four, But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Now, there's a challenge for us all. It's easy to love the Lord, isn't it? Yep, when you're saved. And then it becomes comparatively easy to love one another because we're all, when we're saved in the Lord's family, and we are family. But here's the real challenge. We're to do the very same for our enemies. Have a sacrificial spirit and love in our hearts that says, even my enemies, I'll serve them. I'll help them. I'll do what I can for them because I love them too. Now, of course, when asked... Do you love the Lord and do you love one another and do you love your enemies? Every Christian knows what the answer should be, yes. So when asked the question, they'll probably say yes. They know that's what the answer should be and they'll say it. The difficulty arises, and here's the real stinger, the difficulty arises when actions And words do not actually back up that claim. That's the difficulty. But rather, sometimes our actions and our words contradict that claim. Oh yes, I love the Lord. I love my brethren and I love my enemies. When actions contradict that, there's a real problem, isn't there? Of course there is. You see, abusers say that they love their wives... But then they contradict that claim by hitting them or humiliating them. Oh, they might say they love their wives, but you see, when you look at the evidence, they don't. They don't. Abusers might say that they love their children, but they contradict that claim when they hurt them. No no loving parent wants to hurt their children. But you see what I'm saying? You can make a claim and then it's contradicted when you look at the evidence. Some people say they love their pets, but they contradict the claim by beating them, feeling to feed them, feeling to keep them clean. They don't really love them. They say they do, but they don't. Judas Iscariot was a disciple of Christ and he was supposed to love the Lord, but he contradicted this by betraying the Lord. Now, do you see what I'm saying? We would all agree that we should love one another, love the Lord, love our enemies. But sometimes the actions speak louder than the words, and the actions contradict the words, and they actually teach no, they don't love. People can claim to have love in their hearts, they can claim to be loving. But if their words and their actions contradict this claim, the claim is false. End of. Obviously, there were those in the Corinthian church who claimed to be walking with God. But they weren't. Paul says that they were carnal. They were doing things that contradicted their claim. So today, I want to look at the things that people do that Paul says contradict their claim to have Christian charity or love. The things that people do that will contradict this claim. What are they? Well, the first point is this. A person whose life contradicts the claim that they have Christian love is a person who is resentful of the achievements of others. That's the first point. They are resentful of the achievements Of others, how do we know that? Look at verse four. It says there, "Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself. Is not puffed up." Let's deal with the envy first. It speaks there about charity. If there's charity, envieth not. Those who envy are resentful of the achievements of others. But charity envieth not. Envy here means to be jealous of others, to covet what they have, and to desire what they have. It may be possessions, it might be position, whatever. But there's envy. Now, this Greek word is used in a couple of other places. One of them, Acts 7 and 9. And the patriarchs moved with envy, sold Joseph into Egypt, but God was with him. There's another verse which used, listen to this one as well. Acts 17 and 5. But the Jews which believed not, Moved with envy. You see, this envy moves people to do things. It stimulates them to do things. Moved with envy. These people, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort and gathered a company and set all the city on an uproar and assaulted the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. Now, clearly, this word envy means to be moved with zeal against another individual. To be moved with zeal in an envious way against someone else. Joseph's brothers were envious of him, and they were moved with a zeal against him. Such was their envy got to do something about this boy we've got to get rid of him and they sold him into slavery I read to you from Acts 17 and 5 it's a reference to Thessalonica the Jews there were so incensed That some of their fellows had come to Christ. That in their jealousy they were moved with a zeal against the Christians. And they sought to do them harm. This envy causes people to move against other people. There's no love there. Sure there's not. Absolutely not. There's resentment. Resentment. And you get this envy everywhere, don't you? One farmer might be envious of another farmer because he's a better farmer. He keeps his yard better, it's tidier, his houses are better kept, his machinery is better kept, he works the land in a better manner, he keeps better livestock, he works hard at it, and someone else might envy that man. You could have a, a preacher who could envy another preacher. Because he's a better preacher. Envy can creep in. It could be a young person at school. Somebody else is better at rugby. Or better at hockey. So there's envy. And there's resentment. And they're moved against them. King Saul. He was envious of David. He resented him. And he moved against him because he was moved with envy, not love. What happened? Well, you know the story. David defeated Goliath. The Israelites were so thrilled and so thankful that they sang David's praises. But Saul, envious Saul, he couldn't stick it. He couldn't stomach it. It was just too much for him that David was getting this degree of praise. I was thinking about that. It wasn't David's fault. Sure it wasn't. But the people were singing his praises. After all, God's child just went out and served the Lord did what God told him to do and trusted the Lord to help him and God helped him. Well, if Saul had really wanted that degree of praise and all the rest of it, why didn't he just go out and face Goliath? Sure, it was in his power to do it. All he had to do was do the job himself. But he wouldn't do it. But he became envious of somebody else who did do it. See what I'm saying? Envy gets in. It's so dangerous. So, so dangerous. Extremely harmful. Extremely harmful. I read an old fable, and I want you to think carefully about this. I really do now. I'm going to read it out exactly as it's recorded. You try and follow this one. There were two persons. One was covetous, and the other was envious. These persons were approached by another gentleman, and this is the promise that he made. He would grant whatever they should ask. That sounds good. I'll grant whatever you ask, but I will grant double to the man who asks last. So they they both have this proposition. So we can ask for whatever we want. Whatever I ask for, the next person gets twice that amount. That's quite a proposition, it really is. Of course, it's only a fable now. It didn't actually happen, but it's a story to make a point. So the covetous man he refused to ask first. Because he wished to get the double portion. So he's keeping his cheaper shut. I'm saying nothing because I want twice. I'm not speaking up first. I'm covetous. Well, The envious man, he wouldn't make the first request because he could not bear the thought of benefiting his neighbor. So he didn't speak up. But as the envious man thought about it, he reneged, and at last he decided, I'll make the first request. I'll do it. And his request was this. Don't forget, he's very envious of his neighbor. The envious one. He said, all right, I know what I'll ask for. I will ask that one of my eyes should be taken out. And that meant, if the story was carried through, the other man lost both of his eyes. He would lose two. He was going to get twice what the first man got. When you think about it, it's, it's only a fable, it's a story. But, hey, it just shows you how envious some people can be, doesn't it? That that story could even be dreamt up. You know, folks, envious thoughts against another will lead you to attempt to harm that individual. Cain was envious of Abel's offering. He was envious because God accepted Abel's offering and did not accept his. And this jealousy and envy led him to murder his brother. Moved with envy. Jealousy led him to do that. Are you uneasy or discontent at the prosperity of another individual, at the blessing of God upon another individual? That could lead you and move you against that person. And if you're doing that, That's a contradiction of charity. You're contradicting the very thing you claim to have. As well as envy, those who vaunt themselves, according to verse 4 there, vaunt themselves, are resentful of the achievements of others. Because charity vaunteth not itself. When someone vaunts himself or herself, that person boasts about or brags about himself or herself. The idea here is that of boasting or vaunting of one's own excellencies or endowments. This spirit proceeds from the idea of superiority over others. It's connected with a feeling of contempt or disregard for other people. So where you get an individual who likes to boast and talk about what he or she has, whether it's possessions, intellect, health, strength, wisdom, business acumen, gifted children, sporting prowess, you've got an individual who vaults himself or vaults herself. You might call that individual a bit of a blow. Hard to listen to. (laughs) Do you know someone who's hard to listen to? I hope you're not saying that about the preacher this morning. I hope not. But I think you know what I mean. Is there someone hard to listen to? Always vaunting themselves. Blowing. The look at me type of person. I'm better than other people. That's not a very loving spirit. You know that's the spirit of Luke 18 verse 11. The Pharisees stood up and prayed thus with himself. God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are. I'm better than them. I'm not an extortioner, unjust, adulterer, or even as this publican. What was that Pharisee doing? He was vaulting himself. Look at me. I'm better than them. He saw others as being beneath him, he saw himself as being superior. That's not the way that loving Christians think or behave. If this is how they conduct themselves, they do not have charity. They contradict the true claim to charity, as well as envy and vaunting themselves. Let's move quickly here. They are also puffed up. Puffed up. Charity is not puffed up, it's not. Now the idea behind the Greek for puffed up is that of blowing up so as to inflate, blowing up so as to inflate. And I thought about that. I thought about blowing up, puffed up, like inflating, blowing up a balloon. And please, it's a saying. I don't know where it came from. I hope it's not inappropriate or anything. But you hear it. Oh, he's a real balloon. I don't know if this has come from... I don't know if it's come from this or not. Puffed up. He's a real balloon head. I don't know. I just don't know. But the idea of being puffed up, full of oneself, one's own importance. Now, Paul is thinking of the individual who is inflated with pride and vanity and self-esteem, inflated with a sense of his own importance... There's a difference between vaunting oneself and being puffed up. The one who vaunts himself displays the pride. The one who is puffed up maybe tries to hide it, but it's still there. It's still there. According to the Lord, this is wrong. It's the wrong attitude. It's not Christ like. It's not. Proud. Uncharitable individuals are resentful of the achievements of others. We should never be like that. Never. Second thing, very quickly now. The person who contradicts true biblical love and charity is rude in actions towards other people. Rude in actions towards other people. Because it says in verse 5, charity, Christian love, doth not behave itself unseemly doesn't do it isn't rude a charitable loving christian is not a rude person if you're a rude person you're not displaying christian charity you're behaving in an unseemly fashion You see, respect for superiors produces veneration, and regard for inferiors shows you do not despise their rank. There's decency shown towards all people. It's Christian love, as Christ showed. The Lord was never unseemly, even with his enemies, even when they attempted to trap him. He was loving. He was not unseemly. He didn't patronize people. He wasn't rude or obnoxious. He was full of perfect love and grace to all. Doth not behave itself unseemly. Another thing it says here, seeketh not her own. This means that true charity is not selfish. It does not seek its own happiness exclusively or mainly. It doesn't seek its own happiness exclusively. Regardless of how that would injure others. A charitable person doesn't live like that. The expression here when it says, seeketh not our own, is not to be understood as if Paul meant to teach that a man shouldn't have regard for his own welfare at all. People have to have respect to their health and their prosperity and their happiness and their salvation. There are certain things you have to look out for. But the expression used here is comparative seeketh not her own. You're not always out for self to such an extent that you don't care about anybody else, how they feel and how they're getting on. It's comparative. Where there's true love, selfish behavior will not be the main thrust of the individual's life. That's what I'm saying. Selfish people are rude people. Everything's about them, their needs, their desires, their priorities. But the Lord Jesus Christ came to serve others, not to be served. And he has told us that we are to be servants. Serve other people. Love them. Help them. Reach out to them. Show compassion. Serve them. That's what agape, that's what this word love is all about. It's about making sacrifices for others. You know, there are some people that have gone through their life and they've never made a sacrifice for anyone. They wouldn't know what it is to do it they just live for themselves i'm glad christ lived for me he didn't live for himself he lived and he died for me and if you're saved he lived and he died for you he gave us all another thing here I want you to note in verse 5 charity is not easily provoked. Not easily provoked. A loving Christian will not be the sort of person whose anger is aroused easily or quickly. The person whose anger is easily aroused is unloving. unloving. Because a loving one is not easily provoked. It's the unloving one who's easily provoked. When you get a Christian who's easily provoked and flies off the handle, that's not a loving Christian. I don't care what they claim. Because if they were loving, they wouldn't do it. Full stop. End of the sentence. If they were loving, they wouldn't do it. Hasty, angry, outbursts are the evidence of a lack of love. It's not easy to live with an angry man or an angry woman. I wouldn't know, and my wife wouldn't know, of course, but maybe, maybe some of you know what I'm talking about. I don't know. But It's not easy. I think of godly Abigail in the Old Testament. And she was a godly lady. One good, gracious, long-suffering, patient lady. And she had a husband called Nabal. And he was the exact opposite. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 25, 17, For he is such a son of Belial that a man cannot speak to him. If you met Nabal down the road, you'd want to cross the road or pretend you didn't see him. Do you know why? Because no matter what you would say to him, he was grumpy, he'd go down your throat, he was negative about everything, he was angry at everybody. You just would want to avoid that boy, Nabal. He wouldn't have had too many friends because of the way he got on. That was Nabal godly Abigail had to put up with that. A good long-suffering lady. Well, folks, we're not to be like Nabal. Such a twister that he can hardly speak to you without taking the wrong attitude against you, the wrong whatever. We're not to be like that. And another thing here. Charity thinketh no evil thinketh no evil the person who's always thinking evil of everybody else and everything they do and questioning their motives that person is quite malicious and sorious and disposed to find fault that person imputes improper motives to everybody they're always thinking evil evil thinkers think they know everything and they know what everybody else is thinking you met a person like that have you They're always thinking evil. No matter what someone does, oh, I know why they did that. Oh, I know know what's behind that. I know what they're thinking. No, they don't. You can't read anybody's mind. You can't read their motives. And if you think you can, you're a fool. And you're allowing a proud spirit to destroy you. We should not be thinking evil. Shouldn't always be questioning everyone and what they do and why they did it. I'm getting older. I'll tell you this the older I get, the more I realize if I can keep myself doing what's right, I'm doing quite well. Instead of judging everyone else, thinking evil of others, I don't want to be like that. That's the sort of evil spirit that would put you in an early grave. Give you a stroke, getting on like that. But charity, the loving Christian, thinketh no evil. Doesn't think evil about a brother or a sister. Judge them, put them down. Just live your own life in a loving way for God. Biblical charity is contradicted when people are resentful of the achievements of others, when people are rude in their reactions towards others, and quickly, and this will be just a minute, when they rejoice at the downfall of others. Because it says in verse 6, Rejoiceth not in iniquity. There are some sad individuals who rejoice when others fall, whether it's morally, spiritually, Financially, they rejoice when other people fall. The type of person, did you hear about so-and-so? Did you hear what happened? Don't be saying I said, but we do hear. They rejoice in iniquity. They rejoice in heartache and someone else's misfortune. They're delighted when others are found guilty of some crime. They love to talk about it and talk about other people's misfortunes. But a loving Christian is grieved by the fall of others. A loving Christian will have the heart of Christ. Did he rejoice when others fell into iniquity? No. He did not. And neither should we. Neither should we. Brethren and sisters, I ask you today to seriously consider what I've said and if you find in your life that which contradicts biblical charity then deal with it get before God and ask the Lord to help you to overcome that if there's something you're doing you know you shouldn't be doing it then just stop it don't make excuses don't say I can't yes you can you just don't want to If you say I can't it's because you don't want to you and I both can by the grace of Almighty God we can let's not live a life of contradiction let's live a life that proves that we are God's people by loving one another may God bless his word to all of our hearts for Christ's sake Amen. We're going to bow together in prayer as we bring the service to a conclusion. Let's seek the Lord's face before we leave this meeting. Lord, I thank thee for thy word. It's a challenging word. It's not easy to take all of these things in when we see our sinfulness and how wicked we are. But we're glad we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And we're glad that he is the one who has forgiven us and justified us. But we're thinking today more of sanctification and we need that sanctifying work of God in our hearts and lives. I pray, Lord, that thou will grant the help of thy Holy Spirit to us and give us a willing heart and a willing mind to be what God wants us to be and to do what God wants us to do. Help us, Lord, to overcome the sinful, selfish tendencies that make us go against the Word of God. Deliver us from this, we pray. Grant thy mercy and grace and peace to us all as we separate from the house of the Lord. We pray, Lord, that thy grace, mercy and peace will be our abiding portion now
1: and forevermore. Amen. Amen.